Welcome back to the Better Birth Podcast. Today, I'm super excited about our episode with certified nurse midwife Charlotte Withers and owner of Let Us Birth Midwifery based in LA. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you guys for having me. It's a really <laughs> dope experience. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, yeah, I'd love to start out by chatting a bit about cord blood banking. As you know, at Angel Health, we do cord blood banking, um, and I'm the founder of Angel Health. So, yeah, I like to ask um, birth professionals what their perspectives are on it and experiences. So, um, first of all, in your opinion, what are the pros and cons to cord blood banking? Well, in my experience, I think my first experience um, with cord blood banking was probably um, just as an as an LND nurse. You know, I feel like prior to like maybe five years ago, people would just say, hey, you know, collect this. We really didn't know what was going on or why kind of. And then in my experience in my professional um, as a provider, there were opportunities for me to actually do the collecting. So I had to learn a little bit more. And so it's really an amazing, I, I honestly don't feel that there's any cons, nothing but pros from what I can see is that, you know, uh, parents can actually go back to the stem cells to the, that they might need for their own children or for their own selves, or they can donate. Um, I've done a program where it was just, they didn't want to keep them for themselves, but they completely right. donated. And so for other children or, or adults or whatever research is coming up that um, we found that stem cells has been very beneficial to the well-being of people. So I'm praying that is, you know, that it extensively gets, um, we need more. Um, yeah, because that particular program was granted and no, and so it's no longer going on on that program that I had uh, participated in. But um, I think it's great when I have patients that um, are, are banking their cord blood, they're excited, they're knowledgeable, they know that they can, uh, you know, benefit from it or someone can in the future. So, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So you have seen cord blood banking or, or you've done it before? Oh, yes, I've done it several times. I've um, for myself per se. No, but yeah. I've participated in programs with um, with parents who are doing the cord blood banking. Um, and then, of course, you know, when people buy kits and whatnot, we I'm totally um, abreast and aware when pa- patients want this. So, yeah, I participated in um, I actually am <laughs> a very, very a good collector of my cord blood. I know how to <laughs> I got it down pat. So I'm a very good collector. I guess the, awesome. the cons would be when people can't collect well, mm. when providers are not knowledgeable or not trained on how to collect. Right. Um, you know, I try to have like a little contest with other people like, listen, I bet you I can collect the, the most. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I totally um, I don't see any. Um, that would be the only con I would think when people right. don't know how to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. What are your tips for collecting a lot of cord blood? Well, this is what I think. So if we if, if the patient needs cord blood, say they need cord blood for their own. So we have to collect our own. You get just a little bit. That's enough for that. I think that's what happens. It's difficult when you have patients who want to um, have uh, delayed cord clamping. Right. So that's that's another con that can we have a patient mm. that's what they want. You know, I try to just speak to them and say, hey, listen, if you want delayed cord clamping and we're doing cord blood banking, like how, how where can we meet in the middle so that mm. I don't allow all of the blood? We know we want babies to be benefited with mom's blood as well, but somewhere I, I would have to cut off so I can get a good right. collection. So I usually try try to just if, if that's not the case get as much as I need for that cord blood and then definitely um the way I kind of clamp the cord I clamp low so that I can fill up mm-hmm. all that cord and I start at the bottom rather than people start um collecting from the top but if I start from the bottom then even if I can't if I need to cut that piece of cord and then start again so you know you just have to learn how to milk it so to, to get your optimal amount so and then let that that bag go to gravity 
it's a whole, you know, you get your whole <laughs> little technique together. But yes. um, let the bag go to gravity so that you can get as much as you can. So I usually get a pretty good collection. Okay, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we always <laughs> try to remind people to milk the cord. Yeah, yes. the gravity tip is really awesome. Yes. So, yeah, we typically tell parents to, if they want to do delayed cord clamping and mm-hmm. cord blood banking, then we recommend that pregnant parents delay for max two minutes yep. and then decide to cut it off at that point. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I guess do you have an opinion on that amount of delayed cord clamping like some people feel like they should do it longer but I've also read that there's not necessarily any more evidence that doing greater than 60 seconds provides any more benefits so Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on delayed cord clamping well I do I'm an advocate for it of course but I don't I don't necessarily like to go more than five minutes Mm. honestly because see some people don't know the flip side when that baby gets to postpartum and when they start doing TCB testing on on the baby and we have an abundance of bilirubin then baby's jaundice Mm -hmm. that can also be very dangerous right so i always try to tell moms listen i'm i'm totally for it i understand the benefit but going beyond five minutes like people sometimes want to you know they want to go to the court continues to post post that can happen for 15 minutes that can that can totally happen for and so i also want them to know if you are knowledgeable that postpartum wise this baby can have an abundance of red blood cells that, that could potentially make this um infant jaundice if you're knowledgeable about that then i can go beyond you know but i've seen i've seen it on both sides i've seen babies that are fine i've seen babies who end up on triple lights and mm. you know things like that or have to go to NICU so that's that can also be a complication so mom the parents should be knowledgeable on all fronts that's that's kind of where i'm coming from with that right. mm-hmm. okay interesting yeah. mm-hmm. um in the parents that you've seen do cord blood banking why do pregnant parents typically choose to do cord blood banking like is it typically because of a sick family member or just peace of mind what are the common reasons that you've seen brief interruption for our podcast listeners and then we'll get right back to it. If you're currently pregnant, then this is important for you to know. So when I was three and my brother was one, he was in a near drowning accident that gave him cerebral palsy. One treatment for cerebral palsy is giving children stem cells from their own umbilical cord. The umbilical cord and placenta are both super rich with stem cells that can be used to replace and repair damaged cells. And when they come from the baby, they're a perfect match for that baby. However, my family didn't save stem cells for my brother and we couldn't find a match when the time came. It's pretty difficult to find a cord blood stem cell match if you're a person of color or mixed race. So the best solution to this problem is to save stem cells right at birth. You can do this with AngiHealth. We have a kit that you can bring with you to birth and it contains all of the tools that your provider needs to collect your umbilical cord and placenta. After birth, you can place a pickup in our parent portal and we'll come and pick it up from anywhere in the United States and bring it to our lab in New Jersey where it will be frozen in the same way that you can freeze eggs or sperm. Then your family will always have access to stem cells for future disease treatment. Stem cells have been used to treat type 1 diabetes, different types of cancers, heart disease, liver disease, multiple sclerosis, and more. Get your kit today with Anja Health by going to AnjaHealth.com. That's A-N-J-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. You can always text or call us with questions as well at 310-620-1663. And yes, it is always a real person. And now back to the episode. I've seen it with patients who have had like some type of um, genetic problems in their family um, Mm -hmm. or they are just knowledgeable. They have the knowledge that, hey, you know, something does come up. We do have this to turn to or people who are just, you know, the benevolence. They know, hey, if it's not if I'm not going to use it, somebody else can. Mm -hmm. So um, I I like that part. The fact that if they don't want to use it, then why not allow someone else to benefit? You know, and so. 
Um, those those are my typical times. I don't never ha- I have never had a patient who or a mom or parents who said, "Hey, we got this problem in our family, and we this is what we want to do." Um, and you know, I think it also depends on the demographic too, um, where patients and parents are are given that information. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one particular hospital. You might not see it as much, and then another one who has a little bit of different di- dynamics there. People are bringing kids all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another thing that should happen that even maybe the underserved population should know why should you do this or how can this possibly help? Hey, generations back from you, you know, I think it says up to 24 years or so that that the that these stem cells can be used. So why not? You know, so I think some education there and also going to the and then I understand it has a cost factor, too. Um, so hopefully in the future we see some granting where people don't have to pay and maybe they can still do this. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Cool. My last question related to cord blood banking is your reaction to a case study that we have on our site. Um, so we have a case study on our site about a young boy using, um, cord blood stem cells. So stem cells from the umbilical cord to treat autism. Mm -hmm. Um, so have you had exposure to that before or what are your general takeaways from that case study? I have read some research in regards to that type of, um, you know, um, that diagnosis and being used with stem cells. But, um, of course, I've never had upfront um, evidence, but I, I, I believe it. You know what I mean? I, I believe I know the benefits of stem cells. And I also I mean, I know there's some even some information out there where people talk about, you know, that there's like a whole industry where people are are benefiting on other people's placentas and stem cells for mm-hmm. the benefit of others into their financial benefit. Right. So we already, so when that kind of thing possibly is in the, in the play, then you know that it's, it's, um, there's something to it. But just from my research on stem cells is, I believe it. I believe that if it can cure a cancer, or if it can take care of autoimmune disease and things of that, how, why not? Why not yeah. autism? And I think because autism is so, it is changing, you know, the the diagnosis is changing, the, the statistics and for whom and, you know, where we see the prevalence. I think since that's changing, I believe that research is here to help. Yeah. And why wouldn't you? So I, I was I was pl- pleased to hear that, um, to, to read that article. Yes. Yeah. And awesome. how fast that would got me, like how fast the... You know, they begin to see um, some changes. So, yeah, amazing. I yeah, would love to know more, like yeah. what happened the year after or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sometimes we see folks have improvements with cord blood stem cells in just a few months. Um, and it's even things like um, like kids that weren't able to move like their individual toes can suddenly mm. like move their individual toes just a few months later. So. Yeah, I think that's really awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. is. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, I know, especially since you're a certified nurse midwife, Mm -hmm. I'd love to get your take on preparing for birth Mm -hmm. um, and also midwifery in general. So I'd love to move into that. Yeah. Um, So one question that I know a lot of pregnant parents have is what are the signs of preterm labor? Okay. Yes. uh, That's preterm labor. Is it the complication? And it's something that education um, can help really mm-hmm. um it can prepare women signs and so signs of preterm labor a lot of time well anything anytime that you are having labor signs prior to 37 weeks which is considered a term pregnancy would be considered preterm labor just after a certain gestation you know um it probably it might not be as 
um, how would you say as an emergent to stop these contractions if we're closer to 37 weeks that might we might not be trying to stop anything we just might know that we need to do specific interventions or you know this this uh, child might need you know some you know um, antibiotics prior to or beta-methasone or something on for lung maturity if that's if it's something that we can't can't prevent mm -hmm. but anything up before 37 weeks of contractions contractions that are more that I use I I usually will train and 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 educate my patients um six, more than six contractions in an hour if your water if your water leaking if there's leaking of fluids if there is bleeding more more than just spotting and even after a certain amount of just of gestation shouldn't be seeing too much spotting either so if there's bleeding you know if there's tightening so that is the part because people usually if especially if it's a first-time mother they have no idea what do you mean like what does this feel like mm -hmm. so i usually say if you you know if you have tightening to your abdomen or if you have lower back pain or like consistent menstrual type like cramping people can usually identify with that i'm like if you have drink if you hydrated you've laid down and these don't go away within the hour then i you need some medical attention mm. and so um usually just for them like hey more than six times in an hour bleeding or leaking of fluids i need to see you or mm. if we have decreased uh, in a, in fetal movement after 28 weeks i need to see you a lot of times when people come in uh to preterm labor can start with from other things such as you know vaginal infections or even sometimes after sex people can start to have these contractions but the main thing that let's get you in let's have um some attention so that we can we need to measure your cervix are things changing at your cervix that's what's going to determine what we need to do next mm -hmm. so yeah Okay, awesome. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned 37 weeks as sort of a sweet spot. So if you are currently pregnant, when is it healthy to start having contractions? So I, 37 weeks. Okay. After 37 weeks, it's free game. Whatever these contractions <laughs> want to do, this kid wants to get here, hey, fine. <laughs> yes. Okay, mm -hmm. awesome. So if you are currently pregnant and you're either experiencing bleeding or cramps, spotting around, when do you think that should be seen as a red flag versus mm -hmm. not? Okay, so your first trimester, you know, um, up to what, 12 weeks and six days. Whenever I see someone newly pregnant, that's around that place and time where we start talking like spontaneous uh, abortion. So mm -hmm. miscarriages. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even then I'm like, hey, if you so there, I'm not really looking for contractions in that trimester. It's like if you have consistent, you know, excruciating cramping and pain that's not going away. And if it's accompanied by bleeding, then get to an ER so so we can assess how this pregnancy is going. So that would be for that trimester. Right. So after that trimester, the risks usually they go down tremendously after that first trimester period but anything after between that and that 37 week time um I, I you need to be seen like get you know get attention i think when people try to take care of things on their own most of the time i end up seeing like you know patients well i didn't know i was trying to wait all day or you know i tried to do this and i tried to do that i'm like listen that's what we're here for like mm -hmm. that's if you need to you have a question um i'd rather you be here for to ask here rather than we're thinking you know that it should have happened and then now we have this adverse outcome and so people should just be educated like when to come right. i like to, i love to say these are your warning signs this is these are the things that you need to be warned about if you have any of this going on especially if it's happening for an hour i usually say we got an hour period now if you have immediate bleeding that's you know more that's like a period or more than there's no need to wait for something like that yeah. but um usually 
rest or hydration, people sometimes can can take care of it with that. But if it's after that, or or even like with Tylenol, if people are having some lower back pain because pregnancy just presents uncomfortabilities. There's some, you know, some nuances of pregnancy like lower back pain or mm-hmm. or round ligament pain because sometimes gets um gets uh, also contrasted with contractions and so both of them can feel bad you know so it's best to just hey let's check it out if the, if it's not a problem we get to send you home you know right. or you get to go on home and we at least we know everything is okay mm-hmm. yeah okay awesome yeah. um thinking about later on in the trimester what do braxton hicks typically look like mm-hmm. and what should parents do if they're experiencing braxton hicks yeah so again i for braxton hicks i would say okay and i also give like an analogy I have, uh, you know, like to be visual. So tell patients like this, your nose it's soft. That's how a normal abdomen should feel. So you have your chin that might be, it's kind of squishy, but I feel a little something. So that might be something that we're like paying attention to. Mm-hmm. But if we're over here in our forehead, that is a real, that's really like how a contraction will feel. So I'm like, if you go in between nose, chin and forehead, we don't really, I really don't want you going past here this should mm-hmm. go back to here. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? But if we're up here, I need to see you. So Braxton Hicks. Braxton Hicks are contractions. They are contractions. They are a contractility of the uterus, but it's getting the body ready for uh, for that labor process. Mm-hmm. But they typically would be few and far between here and there. So like I t- that's what I said. That's the difference. Braxton Hicks are fine, but they're here and there. They shouldn't be a rhythmic, patternized um, situation. If it's patternized, we might have a contraction pattern. If it's just here and there, and it's fine. You would typically not get more than six Braxton Hicks in an hour without we without we then leaning over into our warning signs area. Mm-hmm. And so, when we people can have Braxton Hicks as early as five six months, sometimes just changing posi- position can cause a contraction because your uterus is a muscle, or having a full bladder, your uterus is full, or you know different sexual intercourse. Also, when the orgasm occurs, release of oxytocin, boom, we got this contraction. And so those are fine as long as we don't keep, you know, having a pattern. Right. Yeah. So when your abdomen gets hard, if you're pregnant, mm-hmm. then you are moving towards true labor. Well, maybe okay. depending on the pattern. Okay. So depending on your pattern, that is, can be how they will feel. But believe me, a labor <laughs> contraction and a Braxton Hicks feels totally different. Typically, Braxton Hicks are pain- painless. Okay. But your contraction, you know what that is. It usually comes with other signs, not just a contraction. You're going to feel, you know, it's going to be more discomfort there, more intensity. And then you're going to get your patterns and, you know, and you're going to get the duration of this, um, of this contraction. So mm-hmm. while educating the patient, you tell them the difference between like the preterm and the real labor, then they can compare and know, oh, this is different. Cause I'm also having this too. So, oh, this, and, and I'm in the weeks where I should be having it. So if I'm having some labor signs and I'm only 34 weeks, that shouldn't be happening. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you are currently pregnant, then what is the what are the telltale signs between true and false labor? Okay. So there's all this con- controversy. Like, is there such thing as true and false labor? Mm-hmm. Well, the way that you can decipher is, okay, how are these contractions presenting themselves? Are we, you know, if you are a first-time mother, and so you got difference between sometimes first-time and, and, and multi-gravid um, parents, the contraction patterns might be different that we, we were, we were asking for. So I typically say, okay, first time mother, we look for these contractions to come every two minutes um, and lasting for one minute for at least an hour. Mm-hmm. And so someone else who's had three children who might not have that threshold, 
I'd say, hey, let's, let's look three to four minutes. And then it also matters too. I always ask about the, um, how was your labor experience pr- first time? Mm. Because some people deliver fast. That's just what they, that's what they do. If they tell me, oh, I came in, I was two centimeters and I had my baby in an hour, then I'm not, <laughs> you don't do the three to four minutes. Okay. So it helps to know history as well. So, you know, um, but typically for a mom of more than one child, I will say, Hey, you know, th- every four minutes, lasting four minutes, you get for an hour mm. or if your water broke, you know, if your water breaks, no contractions, then, hey, you have time to chill, walk. Let me, you know, you know, do some things. Walk around. You can you can do your ball. You, you know, do some things to start your labor at home. We definitely, when I see you, I want to see you in active labor so that we can have a baby without as many interventions, less interventions right. as possible. So that's how you would know the difference between true and false. Are we, are we, are we in that time frame that I gave or are we still skipping around? If you're having contractions every five minutes, they might be painful. But right. you're in something called latent labor, which can be very frustrating to moms because that can last for a long time. Mm-hmm. But if you if you are definitely um, educating, it's like I know that they're comfortable with this. I want you to, hey, I want you to get on that ball. I want you to go outside and try to walk. I want you to move around. I want you to get into the shower. Let's use some hydrotherapy. Mm-hmm. You know, do these different things, stretching, you know, aromatherapy. Do all those things that you can do at home. If you're delivering in a hospital setting, now that's again, if you're delivering in a birth center setting or a home setting, then they're doing this at home already anyway, just preparing and waiting for that labor to come. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think what you mentioned was the four one one rule. Mm-hmm. Um, so what a lot of uh, questions that I get on my TikTok, for instance, is when should I go to the hospital if I'm anticipating giving birth? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the telltale signs? So typically, when I've chatted with midwives, they mention the four one one rule uh-huh. as a time when you should go to the hospital. So what is the four one one rule, and do you think parents should abide by that? Okay, I typically don't use the four one. I usually use like a two three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would use like a two one one rule. Um, good. Although I want people to be active, you know, yes. so I don't have to do, especially if this is a patient who desires a natural physiologic birth, like, hey, let's get in here already rocking and rolling. Then I'm going to work with you when I see you. Right. So four one one, four minutes apart to me is still can be in that latent phase. Mm-hmm. Let's move it a little closer. Like if we can get to two to three minutes apart, then yeah, you know, come on in. Now it also depends on how how the mom is, is tolerating things. Mm. I've seen people who have contractions every six minutes, but every six minutes is excruciating. And, and I don't believe in trauma in labor. If it's, that's how the person is experiencing it. I don't believe in that because that's what they remember. And we want the experience to be, it shouldn't be a traumatic one. We should, you know, it should be something that, um, you don't have to look back and be like, Oh my God, I wouldn't, you know, that's where you get that. I, I they feel like, death is upon them and no we don't want that so it depends on you know who you're talking to i typically like to go closer like two to three one one (laughs) i believe the one one is consistent um parents can abide by them and you know depending on you know like i said how are they how's the toleration of these uh contractions um how far they are away from the hospital that's another thing. If someone has been having these contractions and they live, I have patients that can live, they live quite a ways from the hospital because we're just the nearest to them. I don't give them the two women. I'm like, listen, I know you're coming from here. So go ahead. You start coming towards me if you get like every three to four minutes, mm-hmm. you know, lasting for one minute and for one hour. 
Okay, cool. A lot of questions that I get mm-hmm. on my TikTok as well is mm-hmm. like, what if I live really far away from the hospital? Mm-hmm. So when thinking about preparing for birth, yeah. do you recommend that parents move, for instance, or get an Airbnb closer to a hospital? And when should they plan to go? Okay, good question. I, I, w- I would always tell patients, try to identify if you have a family member close to the hospital, amazing, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't, yeah, let's try to locate some room, mm-hmm. um, a hotel, Airbnb, where you and your family can go. And typically you can have your normalcy of life there, um, but that you can labor there because there's times that moms may feel like they're ready to go to the hospital and they get sent back home. Mm-hmm. You don't want to drive all the way back home. Right. To get them all the way back. So if you can find something closer now, when would you start to prepare that? I would say, you know, when things start to get kind of regular because and labor is so unpredictable. But I think that's why I just love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> labor is so unpredictable because you could be doing one thing one minute and next thing you know, your whole everything is shifting. But there are some precursors, like some people have they lose their mucus plug. Now, mucus plug can come out two weeks before things even happen. But people just usually feel crampy and they just um they usually have some bloody show going on um if they've seen their provider some maybe days before and they had the membrane stripped things like that these are things that they can kind of okay let me put a compass out of as to where i should you know be getting this airbnb set up Mm -hmm. but if they can move closer to the hospital that is that's amazing rather than having that panic of driving and things of that now another thing when patients do live a ways away, I think it's also important that they should, they should know if your baby is not moving, if your contractions are going way different than you thought, things are moving faster. Don't try to come here. Mm. I say, listen, don't try to come here. If there is, I know you may not want to be at that particular hospital, but if they have a labor and delivery unit and you can get there faster, we want you to be safe above anything. So if, if it's just, it doesn't happen because sometimes these, you know, these babies, they do how they want and the body is just dynamic and it does what it wants. And if it's going a lot faster than what we anticipated, go to a near, near place. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned mucus plugs um, because one of my most viewed TikToks yeah. in pregnancy space is about <laughs> mucus plugs. Yes. I think a lot of pregnant parents are surprised at what even a mucus plug is until maybe they see their own. So mm-hmm. what is a mucus plug and what does it mean when it falls out? So you have, you know, you have between the cervix and you have your uterus and you have your amniotic sac that's in in there. But when you enter into the cervix, like when we're doing manual exams, you there's layers of, you know, just mucus that, that protects that, um, that cervix and just kind of keeps things out from, you know, outside from coming in. And so once all of that kind of sheds out, it's not a beautiful sight. I think that's the first thing that they <laughs> that they uh, <laughs> that they recognize is like, what is this? That's what they didn't expect it to look that way. So I get pictures sometimes like, hey, this is what I got. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's usually you know that is your mucus plug. It's not beautiful, but yeah. So, but that can happen weeks before. And so then people are thinking, oh, my God, my mucus plug is out. Like, something's wrong. Like, it's, I'm going to have complications. I'm like, no, that just means that we're moving forward to where we where we need to be. Right. Um, but I, I try to tell my patients, like, it, don't put so much weight on that, though, because it doesn't have to mean a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Although it can. It can. So once that has happened, we know we're progressing. Right. Um, but look for forward to progress. But the main attraction is the contraction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of what what I kind of teach. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, 
So I know earlier you mentioned your abdomen getting hard yeah. and like this. So what does it mean if you're currently pregnant and your belly gets hard? And should it be as hard as your nose until birth starts to get closer? Then mm-hmm. it should be as hard as your forehead? Well, good contractions, like nice, intense contractions feel feel like this. Okay. They feel like you're, that's like the closest thing that you can kind of give right. someone on their own body to compare it to. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, intense, beautiful contractions that are going to get the cervix nice and dilated and, um, you know, and, and effaced is going to be like Okay. That. And then it um, goes back to your nose. It will go. Yeah. And after that's over, it goes back nice and soft where you're able to, you know, palpate it and feel it is nice. And, but then you might have ones that are not so intense. They feel like this. Or sometimes mm. I'll use my chin, but it depends on how cheeky you are. We don't, I'll just go with these three. <laughs> but, you know, it'll it'll be mid, you know, midway intensity might be here. You know, so they might experience all of these different kinds. But um, your your indicator is the diet, how, how, how are we progressing? How's the cervix, the cervical uh, progression? Right. So are these working for us? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, so one other, um, indicator that I feel like a lot of folks use as they're getting closer to birth is kit counting. So Mm -hmm. in your opinion, when it comes to birth and pregnancy, what is the importance of kit counting and how do you suggest parents kit count? Oh yeah. Kit counting is everything. That is one of the, to me in the third trimester is one of the most, one of the most important things you can teach. Mm. Kit counts. Kit counts are there so that we understand and we are able to monitor and assess how this the baby's well-being is is inside because you can't see anything. You can just, you know, be able to feel. And that is the indicator of how the kid is doing. So uh, teaching kid, I start to begin to teach. I usually start kind of mentioning it around 25, 26 weeks, but around 28 weeks is when we start the kid count. Um, kid counting. I'm telling them you're doing this every single day until you get this baby in your arms. <laughs> Big time. I've had, you know, you see patients who say, yeah, you know, my baby wasn't moving for two days. Mm-hmm. And they, I cringe every time. You know, mm-hmm. there's how many times have it been that to where you go put a monitor on and you get nothing. Um that's what we are trying to avoid. We right. don't want that. And some sometimes moms are super busy. They have other children. They just don't have time to sit down with themselves to kind of see what's going on. Or if they have a baby that moves all the time, they just think in their mind, like, you know, this is the norm. But you have to do it every single day. So every single day, sitting down in the quiet to where if that's if you're a working mom, that you can be in a space where you're able to, to check things out, um, where you can feel these counts, you know, and then. You have a baby who has, um, they, they change their patterns, you know, just like they're growing. They change their patterns. Sometimes they might want to be moving for a couple of weeks or a, about two months in the morning time. Then they switch. Okay, mm-hmm. now I'm nocturnal kid. So now I'm up <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning. So it, it can be tough. But, you know, usually after eating um, or drinking and things of like that, you, you get this baby who will respond. And so sitting down, you give your moms, I tell them you got two hours you're giving this kiddo two hours to give us 10 kicks or movements. Okay. Um, if that is not, if that did not happen, usually I, I say, hey, especially if there's complications involved, if we have a gestational diabetic mom or, you know, we're dealing with some um, gestational hypertension or anything that could compromise the cardiovascular of this placenta. Right. Uh, so after an hour, if we're not halfway through at least five, six counts, I need you, let's sit down, drink some cold water. And lay on left side and let's make sure we get the next five mm. within the next hour. 
Okay. And then you get some moms, they sit down 15 minutes, they got the counts. You know, so fine. You got the counts, you can stop. But if we are past, I don't care if it's two hours and one minute, I need you on your way so we can do an evaluation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it depends on two, where the placenta is um, implanted. Mm. Um, because posterior if, or anterior? Yes, because okay. if you have that anterior placenta, it's like a cushion. So this kiddo's in there just like punching a pillow. And so moms <laughs> can't typically feel the kicks and movements as much. Mm -hmm. So when someone like that, hey, I don't care. I'm like, listen, if I need to see you, if we need to put you on a monitor or see, you know, however, or evaluate um, this baby as many times as you don't understand that you felt it, I'd rather. Okay. I'd rather. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's pretty much in any given two hours of the day or it's right after you eat or drink and you're pregnant, then you should set aside two hours to get Yeah, it's, it's really any given two hours because, like okay. I said, everybody's so different, but just a two-hour period of time. Okay, for sure. awesome. Mm -hmm. um, whenever I've talked about kick counting on social media, I mm -hmm. get some comments that are along the lines of, like, kick counting gives me anxiety. I'm al I already have so many things to worry about. Mm. How can you, like, stress me out by asking me to do more things in the day? Oh, so wow. what do you say to parents that feel like they're already having too much anxiety when <laughs> it comes to kick counting? Yeah. So in that situation, that's already telling me I have to I have to approach that sensitively mm. because it sounds like there's some other psychiatric or psychological things going on. Okay. So that's when I want to go there first. Like, let's deal with the anxiety first. Like, mm. where is that coming from? Is that because this person has had a, a bad outcome or they know people who's had bad outcomes? Right. You know, the Internet is so amazing, but it can be so destructive at the same right. time because people read things that are terrible and then their anxiety levels are on 10 all the time throughout their whole entire pregnancy so that's when it comes in providers we don't just take care of the these other things but you have to um sometimes you have to be a therapist um when let's deal with the anxiety of this like what what's going on so we can try to see how can we hone in on that so that I can help to lower that with you or let's cope through those so we can do those because we have to do those kick counts, you know. Right. Um, just explaining to explanation of how important, what's the reason why we're saying this. And with someone like that, you don't want to give them, well, hey, I've seen many, uh, you know, I've seen many outcomes where a mom you know, was not having her baby moving. And then she went to bed in the morning time. We didn't have a heartbeat. That mm -hmm. would just take that, that particular person through the roof. Right. <laughs> so you don't want to do that. You just want to give them the reason why also to another important thing is never go to sleep without completing your kid counts. Mm. That's the worst because when you're sleeping, you're not feeling things and you're not paying attention. And so that's to me, um, I, I always say, don't ever go to sleep. Don't ever not complete it. And so, that we can we wake up in the morning and not know that we completed or not. So with with that, you know, we have to take responsibility there. I, that's a that's a big thing because a lot of times patients or clients or parents, they want to put everything on the provider to make it happen for them. But we all have to be responsible for the outcome that we want, which is a safe pregnancy, safe delivery, um, mom and baby safe and going home. Mm -hmm. But everybody has a role. So even as a patient, you're carrying your mom, you know, you have a role and it doesn't stop. It's not going to stop here. After we, this baby's delivered, you're going to have so many other things that's going to come up that yeah. you're going to have to do. So um, let's start getting used to what we need to do right now. Mm -hmm. And so that being one, people do that a lot of times when there's certain testings that we need done and they feel like, why are you asking me to do extra? Well, we need to find out. You yeah. know, we need to know these things in order so that we have a, a safe mom and baby. Right. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. 
Um, thinking about preparing for a safe birth, what are your thoughts on a home versus hospital birth mm -hmm. and just general safety measures with both types of births or birth center as well? Mm -hmm. So birth center and home births, I think, are amazing, amazing, amazing. And um, as you sit down with the midwife during the intake of a home for a home birth or a birth center facility, there's going to be criteria. Mm -hmm. um, every mom does not qualify for a home birth and that's what I try to talk to patients about that I'm you know that are not my my in hospital um, moms but just if I'm um, definitely like with my letters birth practice if I'm if a person is trying to figure out where they should uh, deliver or where they would like to you know are you going to qualify so you do have to go and it's it's almost like a you know this this provider who's re receiving you into their home birth practice or their birth center they're also want to find out are you a good fit for being here? Because the responsibility of that provider is to say, you know, um, you're, you're diabetic patient outside of pregnancy. So mm. now you're, you know, your insulin de di dependent mother, you might not fit into home birth. Yeah. And so yeah. a home birth or a birth center, um, situation, but you know, um, what I would like to see is that people can also point those those particular patients over to a hospital where they can still have an amazing birth. You can still have an amazing provider, um, but you got to look for that. You mm -hmm. seek it out. And I think even with birth centers, even hospital birth center and home, you got you need to vet out your provider. Vet, right. the, vet the provider out, vet the facility out. Is that going to be, because even if you have complications, it still should be somewhere that is still um, matches with your philosophies uh, can also give you some of your birth planning um, you know maybe not everything you might not have been able to stay at the home but we can still give you a safe amazing birth at, at a hospital so vetting out home birth um, hospital and birth center you need to vet the provider vet the facility right. to make sure that every every one of those is a safe a safe place to be and that someone that um, someone or a facility that matches with your you know with your expectations and what you like Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome advice. Yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to the cost of birth, mm -hmm. have you seen differing costs in home versus hospital versus birth center birth? Absolutely. And that's another thing that people just... <laughs> That's another thing that people don't take into consideration. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, home birth midwives, you know, amazing. These are amazing providers because they a lot of them, it is cash. Yeah. You know, it is cash pay. And so although you want to be able to give moms this experience um, um, of, you know, no interventions at all, you know, and give them this opportunity to have the birth that, that they that they visualize and they want. But if it's cash pay, you know, then if that can't happen, these women or, or men can't operate on on just our hopes and wishes with, you know, so they work as well and they work very hard. So yeah, um, it's, it's cash pay. Some, oh, some midwives in home birth settings and birth centers do, do accept some level of, um, insurance as well. And so some people, it just depends again on your qualifications of, can you pay, you know, can mm -hmm. you make, can you also do this? So in the hospital, um, depending on whatever insurance coverage they have or Medi-Cal as well, you know, those types of things are also accepted in the hospital. And that is the thing too. I'm glad you bring that up that people think just because they have Medi-Cal that they don't have a right to, to also vet out the facility that they're going to. That's not true. Mm. Just because you have Medi-Cal, that doesn't mean that you should just take whatever that's, that's handed to you. No, please. And I, that's what I advocate for patients. You don't have to stop there. Go find out who accepts your insurance. Does this facility still line up with what you expect and want? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
Okay, yes. cool. Do mm-hmm. you find that a home hospital or a birth center birth, one of them is cheaper than the other? Well, absolutely. I mean, for the fact that in a hospital, they might offer more for insurance. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or or the, or it might be in that Medicare facility, you don't have to pay anything. You know that you can have your birth, you know, here at, an, at no cost or less cost. So mm-hmm. probably I would say that the, that the hospital would be the cheaper of them. Um, but in that still, you still should expect dynamic care right no matter what you know right mm-hmm. okay awesome um cool so i'd love to chat about midwifery as well yeah. especially because you're a midwife and yeah. really passionate about it which i love <laughs> right. um so in your opinion what is the importance of midwifery and also if you don't mind even defining what a midwife is like even sure. i was mentioning to my roommate earlier he's uh he's 20 he's a 25 year old man uh-huh. um and he's also gay so uh-huh. he just knows very little about birth he okay. didn't even know what a midwife was okay so i was explaining it to him so yeah i feel like there's just still so much ignorance around midwifery right. so i'd love to get your thoughts on why midwifery is important to consider if you're Mm -hmm. pregnant and also what a midwife is yeah okay well please i want you to tell your friend that there are male midwives too so if he (laughs) just you know happens to get inspired right (laughs) okay but midwifery is a is a midwifery is a long um a a legacy if i would say a historical craft of birth okay um and i myself came from a legacy of midwives i did oh, not wow. know that until actually i'm sitting here talking to my grandmother and oh yeah <laughs> and i'm like what you know so it makes me wonder like hey was this already in in me from before i even knew it myself yes. i believe that midwifery is a call i do not look at it as a profession i do not look at it as a job because you have to i, I think about birth when I'm not even working, you know, I'm studying, I'm trying my best to fi- figure out what n- then next that I could do when right. it has nothing to do with the time clock or, or the money. It is a call on my life. And I, I think that's why I'm here, but it's a long standing. There's traditions of midwives in, in the, um, I would say in the parishes of the South, uh, where black midwives that what people call them as granny midwives, um, were, 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 performing birth and teaching the younger how to do this and so there it would go down and through the legacy of this particular family or or in these um you know in these circles and communities young girls who wanted to learn and they learned through the apprenticeship of this 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 woman who was like the healer of the community and doing Mm -hmm. births all over the community not just for black black her black families but also and white families as well, they would have them to come, you know, sometimes accompany with the doctor to do this. So, man, that's a whole, ooh, it's, a, it's a long thing how <laughs> that was. Um, and, and also not just in black communities, but also in, uh, in you know, in the in the places of, of Mexico way, you know, in those in those areas and where we're not established like we see them now. Birth has been there. Women have been doing midwifery. Midwife means with woman. That is the the word midwife means that that you are with that woman. And so you um, they, they were there, you know, not just but feeding them, you know, mm-hmm. making clothes for them, babysitting their other children at the same time taking care of their pregnancy and then helping them with their births and then afterwards too as well Mm -hmm. into postpartum so midwifery um is a long it has a long history you could probably honestly you can probably trace it back to every culture you're going to find where some woman was helping them and it wasn't doctors right there were no physicians there were no medicine there was not medicine like that and so in uh in in the in the in the african-american culture um you know it came to it came to where you know now the the physicians want to 
pretty much want to say want to like eradicate the the traditional ways of midwifery and now we're we're requiring that education was a part of it okay so here are these women who may have not been so so skilled in reading so mm -hmm. skilled in writing for they didn't have the money to do these types of things didn't have the the resources and so some of them did though and but just maybe money might have been the resource so if you're gonna red tape me now now i can't perform and do for this community which i had been doing so then our hands were tied Right now, some of, of the women did go forth to receive this education, and they became those nurse midwives. You know, but of course, you know the racism that was still abroad, that was abroad at that time, it still is is now, but very much more prevalent there then in that timing. And then now, these women have have come out of the homes. Now they want them. Now you want me to go into this hospital and now do what you're telling me to do. That you're not going to allow me to do it the way I was doing it in homes where it was pretty, it was safe for the moms and mm. um, so on and so forth. So it's a long history. Um, midwifery is important even today. Um, and there's such a shortage of midwives um, there. You know, we see, you know, um, the new age medicine and people a lot of times when they want to deliver a baby, they want to be an OBGYN doctor. Um, and so my, I already had a long, long history of, of labor and delivery um, experience. I was already with women. And when I was introduced to mid midwives, it's funny because it wasn't black midwives that I mm -hmm. got a chance to see midwifery practice with. And then, so then I began to learn of the tradition. And then, like I said, end up finding out that I do have legacy in my own family from midwifery. But midwives are, are I believe, and I believe it with my whole heart, that mid, the midwives are the answer to our crisis that we right. are experiencing right now. Why? Because it has been proven that midwives are going to, um, the midwifery model that we learn and that we practice in, it will lessen the occurrence of C-sections. It will lessen the occurrence of vacuums and, and um, you know, any kind of instrumental births mm -hmm. that could potentially cause more harm and problems. Um, it also, be, being with the midwife, has shown that preterm labor was lessened in those particular patients that were cared for by midwives. And I think it has to do with a lot of compassion that we use at, and also in our practice, um, not so only just the hands-on, but the listening, the the jumping into the situation with the mother to to really hands-on deal with, with them. And sometimes when you put your hands on something, you can feel something that you can't diagnose right off of just from tests and whatnot. So many times I would do something because my my inner says no check her one more time or check her fluid or I, I listen to myself all the time every time when I'm that's why you can't be distracted I listen to I had a patient and uh and she, you know she was just measuring really that's why I don't I like to midwives are needed everywhere they're needed at home mm -hmm. they're needed at birth centers and they are needed in the hospital you have women who need us and and I am a hospital birth um practicing midwife I could I could practice wherever but this is just where my heart is at at the moment because there are women who don't qualify for those other uh, spaces but they're going to see me right and so I need to midwives need to be at every stop because of what we're talking about right now but I had a mom who see her her fundal height was just measuring way way beyond the weeks and I'm like this is weird like she hasn't gained as much weight like something's going on we're not diabetic like let me mm. send her off I need to send this one lady now 
I felt like I got sent her now to ultrasound, which I did come to find out that her right away, she was, um, her care was transferred to a higher level of care. Her baby had um, a large mass they could see that was connected to or near the the baby. Mm. And immediately she was booked for surgery. Like the next day, everything got moving so fast. Now, had I just not like, mm, eh, you know, kind of like trust, I knew something. I could have said, well, right. I'll do this ultrasound next week. You know, let me check her the next time. Something said now. And so I, um, I didn't know what happened afterwards because it was, definitely transferred out of my hands to something higher level well I saw this mom again she came back to me two years later she's pregnant again so I'm just talking we're talking and I didn't remember I remember the case but I didn't remember this particular mm -hmm. mother's face she stood up and she said I just want to tell you thank you and I'm looking like okay you know <laughs> like okay yeah okay and so she began to go over the situation I was like yeah I remember that she said the baby had a mass that was so large connected to the and that was growing under the neck of the child mm -hmm. that they had to do an emergency c uh, emergency c-section to to deliver this baby then emergency surgery on this child she said do you know that i didn't tell anybody what i was getting my prenatal care here mm -hmm. but i was going to deliver my baby at home she already had it set up oh wow she already had it together the she so nobody was looking for these ultrasounds because everything had been fine she said i already had it set up she said had you not did what you did that day she said i would have went forth with my plan and i or the child we both would have probably not made it so she she hugged me oh my god so we're standing there just crying and it's that's the importance of why so midwives are here for so many different reasons and you yeah. might get some complications it might not be just this normal pregnancy but that's why we're here so i'm not here to perform medicine but i'm here to use my discernment that mm -hmm. i believe is that I am equipped with as a midwife right and so yeah midwives are here I believe it's the um we are the answer for what we got going on I we need more in the city of I mean city in the state of California we only have two midwifery schools um but there's many routes that midwives can go you don't have to be an RN you know you don't have to be an RN first you can go another route where your entry entry level midwives I, I, we just need more because the population is growing People are more abreast that the midwives have these, we have these qualities and we do have these statistics um, that is shown that we are definitely lowering C-sections and, mm -hmm. you know, um, <laughs> and things like that. And we do um, provide for low intervention or no intervention births to, to women that that's what they desire. Um, so, yeah, I, I we're the answer. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a great answer. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because I think in the United States, since midwifery is so, um, uh, it's so much more uncommon when compared mm -hmm. to especially the UK mm -hmm. or Europe or anything like that. When kids are young and they are interested in birth and helping women's health, I feel yeah. like the automatic answer in the United States is to, yeah, become an OBGYN mm -hmm. or even potentially an LND nurse, but people never think midwife. Right. So what would you say to folks who are curious about finding educational resources related to midwifery yeah. and um, how would you want them to think about midwifery as a potential occupation? Sure. And like what you said, it is such a misnomer. I have so many people to sit with me. They're book with me. We're there together. And they're like, what is a midwife? Yeah. I'm like, wow. You know, that's I mean, but that's so not how you want to do this. Mm -hmm. You need to know who your person, who your provider is and right. what they do. And so you're absolutely right. Um you know, the resources, I think people just don't know where to go. Like, how do I start? What do I now? So if you're, 
and even as an RN, I had no idea for years because for years where I was at L&D nurse, there were no midwives. So I didn't know what they did. I didn't know what, what so mm-hmm. when I finally got exposed. So exposure is a big thing. Um, so now then I feel I feel like it goes back on the midwifery profession. Um, right now I do um, take big part in the um, California Nurse Midwives Association and in part with the reproductive justice, anti-racism committees mm-hmm. and like health policy and things of that. It's our job. We we want to get the word out. We have to tell the community that we're here. Like, do you know what this, do you know what a midwife is? Let me tell you what we do. Let me show you how you can get that education. So resources, I mean, if people are even California or not, me, I had to go outside of California to obtain my midwifery education, but mm-hmm. there, it's there. There's online, um, there's online pathways. There's, like I said before, entry level pathways, but you can start off. I mean, I think I might have started off with just Google. Like I put in once I knew that that's something that I wanted, I put in midwife, nurse midwife, and because at the time I was an RN, and so I knew I could take that pathway. And then you know, several things come up. You can also visit um, the ACNM website. There's mm-hmm. many um, resources there as well. And then if in California, the CNMA um, website as well. Many things there um, to let uh, women know how they can get you know get their hands in there. Um, like you said, how how would they even know that they would want that? Well, you definitely need to have a passion right. for something like this because you know it, it's it's a tire it's a tiring job. It can be very you know physically um, overwhelming sometimes. But when you have passion behind what you do, for some reason you're energized. For some reason, every time I get ready to go and do it again, I get the same the same passion fuels me so people have to be um very much interested it is not you know people might say oh well you know midwives you know they make this amount of money people want to make it about the money but that's not what's going to that's not what's going to push you mm-hmm. for years in to come that's not going to give you longevity because that never makes people happy money never makes people happy you have to want to see the women better you have to want to see babies this this especially here in the United States, like you brought up the UK, there's midwives all over the place. So, but as you see, they don't have the, they don't have the statistics that we have here in the United States. Right. So that's why I said we're the answer. Mm -hmm. I believe that collaboration is key. Um, We have to collaborate with these, with the doctors. We have to, let's develop teams that understand that, hey, I know what we're trying to get to and we want to eradicate these numbers. So midwives have to be respected as what they do. Um, No, I mean, the doctors that I work with, they give us the the respect that we need to be able to practice. Right. The autonomy that we need to be able to practice. It's not like, you know, hey, you got my hands cuffed and I do what you say. Well, I know how to practice in, in this craft. I know how to practice here. I This is what I'm, I'm expert in. And you have to trust me. Right. And so if I need you, please trust me that I'm coming to get you Mm -hmm. because I need you to collaborate with me on this because we need to see this result or I'm having a problem. So, you know, it's just a lot to it. Um, But as far as resources and people can always reach out to me as well. I um, this is something that I also do in my Let Us Birth practice is also to mentor those who are looking for um uh, that are looking for these, which pathway they should go. A lot of people always ask me, "Hey, this is what where I'm at. I already have a master's in this. What can I do? You know, um, to obtain the midwifery." So, yeah. right, okay, mm-hmm. awesome. Um, why does midwifery generally come with less complications for birth? I believe because we're not intervention led. Right. If we don't have to use interventions, there's no, you don't have to, there's no need. Um, you know, like sometimes I work with nurses and they're like, hey, you know, my patient's over, she's nine centimeters and, you know, she needs her water broken. No, 
She doesn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, she doesn't. Her labor is still moving. <laughs> yeah. You know, now there's a t- if there's a time that I need to assess that fluid and I need to break her water for whatever else might be going on, then fine. But it's not a, it doesn't necessarily have to be in an intervention for delivery. You know what I mean? And so I think the model that we go with less interventions, most natural physiologic birth is what we want then that's what our goals are are of course now those midwives who work in the hospital sometimes there's you know policy that are policy that are in place that um like your home birth midwives would not be cool with that like hey listen this thing this birth is gonna it's natural it's gonna happen on its own so when you're in the hospital then you have other things such as inductions that are that are involved but I believe I understand both. I understand induction. Right. I understand augmentation and I understand natural. I can do them all, <laughs> you know. So um, if I see a mom who doesn't need these interventions, we're not getting them. Okay. You know, if there's no need for it, then I'm not going to I'm not going to even have with nothing to do, you know. Right, right. So um, that's my main goal. But, you know, there's different things that come in for different reasons. If somebody might have certain complications and we have to use these other intervention uh, interventions because of that induction or whatnot. And so that's, you know, those are different subjects for, for different times. But, um, yeah, okay. I think that's why people cool. want it more. So mm-hmm. um, what is considered the most common complication for birth? Ooh, there's so many. <laughs> There's so many. Maybe uh, top three to look out for. In birth or pregnancy? Let's do both. Okay. So in let's say in pregnancy. I would say the, the most thing that you see would be like your gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, either most you see gestational hypertension more so okay. than chronic hypertension. Hi- chronic goes is that shows up before 20 weeks. Gestational hypertension shows up after 20 weeks. You most of the time see that. And I'm going to use this complication because people won't, don't want to make this a complication, but it is a complication. Mm-hmm. But obesity. Mm. Obesity is a complication because that leads to other problems. And that's one that people try to, uh, you know, and patients don't want you to touch it. Oh, my gosh. They don't want you to touch how much weight they're actually gaining in pregnancy. But that can cause a lot of other problems. Yeah. So I'm going to put that as one of the, the top three. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about in birth? What are the top three complications in birth? So in birth, I would say hemorrhage. Hemorrhage is one that's very, it can be prevalent. Shoulder dystocia is another one. Um, and possibly maybe like a, um, a failure to progress. Mm. What might be like another one that you see a whole lot, which then, you know, is a bummer because that sometimes can lead to, to cesarean, whatever, you know, leads Mm -hmm. to cesarean section. But even with patients who come in for inductions, like even when a midwife puts their hand on an induction more so than others, we typically see more success because we'll go for other other um, modalities like Foley balloon rather than just jumping to. I've seen patients come in like this is a first time mother. Her cervix is not favorable and you're going to start Pitocin. Well, we're going to we're going to go back for a C-section because it's going to fail. We need to prime this cervix, get it nice and ready for whatever we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So that's another way you give that to a midwife. We're going to do it differently. OK, we're going to do it differently. We're going to make sure that this mom has a chance. Not so that we end up in a, in a, in a, in the OR. So that's right. where we're trying not to go back there, you know, for, for go there for any reason or have any kind of complications. So. Okay. What would you say would be your top three tips for someone if they're currently pregnant? And these would be tips specifically geared towards avoiding complications. Okay. So avoiding complications, education, education with a midwife, with the midwife. <laughs> right. If you know 
what you're looking for, if you know what are your abnormals and what your normals are, that right there will hands down be a lot of the battle won. Because if they know when to come when that preterm labor, if you know what that's supposed to look like, if you know this is this baby is not moving appropriately, if you know these things, knowledge is so much power, then you can go get attention. That's to me, that's that's a big one. Mm -hmm. And then prevention, like with the obesity, let's adhere to where we should be. So if you're supposed to gain 25 pounds, if you gain and I've seen it 90 pounds in a pre in a pregnancy. Mm. I've seen 70, 60 pounds. We are setting ourselves up for self up for risk. Yeah, and that's largely due to overeating. Yes, or you just eating, you know, with no, you know, with no concern, like right. fast food and processed foods and mm. you know, just overeating and just indulging people feel really believe the lie that you're eating for two people right and i tell patients no a baby never tasted your fries <laughs> they and i've never met one baby <laughs> that i birthed or helped to birth that had a french fry or some chili cheese fries never mm. they don't i said they don't eat like that so don't tell me that your baby's craving <laughs> a banana split it doesn't ha it doesn't work like that mm. <laughs> <laughs> so you know i think um yeah that's that's just adherence to if we see risk coming up or we see something that's potential complications, if your provider saying, hey, let's stay in these parameters like this. And it's not for malice or it's not because we just don't want you to enjoy yourself, but because we see something down the line that could potentially be a problem. Right. And then let's see another prevention. Those two are good ones. Um, another prevention would be. I would say. um being able to advocate for self if you know something's wrong and you might not have got the answer that you needed or the answer that you know or someone who listened well enough to give you the attention that you that you were supposed to have don't stop mm -hmm. that's a big one just because one person said oh no no there's nothing wrong with that that's you know that's how you know that goes if you know in your heart of hearts, which again falls back to your education, right? If you know of your heart and hearts that that's not true or no, this is not right, then you just, even if you don't, you need to stop with that person and go to the next. Don't ever stop when you know something is not right. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are great tips. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, my last question for today okay. is how would you define a positive birth experience? Okay. A positive birth experience is one that was was planned out that um a mother were and i would even say um and i would even lead to say a birthing person mm -hmm. planned that birth out and they were able to say hey i want this i don't want i don't i want this and i don't want that mm -hmm. i would like this and i don't want that i believe that I like to see people, let's do a plan A and a plan B, just in case right. if our plan A doesn't go as planned or there's some turns in, along the way that may have scratched off something on your number three, but how can we still get, have us, how can we still be satisfied at the end? We might need a plan B mm -hmm. and that's okay um, if things might change. And it also prepares um, mothers to not feel like failure. Uh, to understand that the birth is something that always you can't predict everything. You might put something on your list that might not happen or it changed up. So being able to plan, 
being able to get as many things on that plan list accomplished. And at the end of that, uh, end of the road, that we have a healthy, safe, safety. Mm-hmm. That we have a safe, healthy mother and a healthy baby. So that's that's what I think is a is a beautiful birth series that when you when you close your eyes and thought about it two weeks later, one year later, that you could say, man, that person really cared about me, cared about what I thought, cared about what I felt, and they helped me get to what I wanted safe. Right. Okay. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if folks are looking for a positive birth experience in LA with you, how can they yeah. best find you? Um, right. And how would you suggest, yeah, thinking about midwifery or anything like that? Sure. So I have... Um, at this moment, I am currently a full practice midwife in the Inland Empire um, where with uh, Kaiser Permanente, where um, if people did not know them, almost every Kaiser has midwives. Mm. And so I'm, you know, I don't. I don't know that people know that. Sometimes people are like, oh, my God, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, that's but, good to know. You know, but every Kaiser has midwives. So you can go and find people who function and who um, who operate with the midwifery model um, and should um, in most Kaisers. But that's where I'm at. So um, I'm there. Also, I have also since um, now been in midwifery for almost seven years now. Um, and then, like I said, having... Ooh, 15, 16, 17 years of L&D experience with women and women's health have uh, began a, uh, a midwifery telehealth practice. So I don't actually see hands-on patients, but the education is a big thing to me, no matter who you're seeing. But if it's something that you don't understand that's going on in your birth or in your pregnancy or preconception or postpartum, I'm here as a, as a te- because telehealth is slotted, and especially in the state of California, as even education Mm -hmm. because if i can empower you to be confident enough to ask questions to your provider enough to advocate for yourself in birth with the knowledge of why not with um the intention of of causing a um a uh, like a a, a environment of contention Mm -hmm. but how to advocate for yourself with the proper words to say and things that you might that you can convey with people understanding what you're saying and it doesn't look like you're trying to be you know aggressive um and the things that you need to know and you'll be able to be confident with it that's what i that's what let us birth is and also coaching other midwives midwives who are even in practice who are burnt out who just kind of like need that refreshing or those who are looking for for entering into the practice and just need um, help with guidance on how to get there. Um, I'm also there to mentor as well. So that's what Let Us Birth is. I believe that, like I said, uh, never ever in my life have I seen education. I think that that's also going to be so many complications that people go that have that lead to these horrible um, maternal mortality rates. A lot of them had to do with moms not understanding what's going on with their bodies. Mm-hmm. When should they say this? And if they didn't get the answer that they needed because they knew that 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 what was going on was abnormal, then they need to go seek other help. It, it had to do with just not understanding, not knowing that there was a problem going on. Right. And when to say something like, right. you know, and so because I know we have there's so many patients providers sometimes don't spend the time that they do they need to educate it's quick it's so many people to try to service and it becomes like an assembly line and we Mm -hmm. can't let that happen so 
that's what let us break this here for so yeah find a midwife somewhere <laughs> um find and make but everything still vet out every facility vet out every provider it is your right to have someone who cares about you who's going to give you um safe care who's going to give you amazing knowledge base who's going to be open to the evaluation of like you say about birth centers open to the evaluation of accreditation accreditation um facilities to come in and or the bureaus that that are that are in place for that accreditation those boards um they should be able to open up that's theirs that's their seal of excellence mm-hmm. so make sure these things are in place don't just jump in just because instagram is showing you now that women are having babies in in pools or mm-hmm. you know things like that people get really visually thrown off yeah you still need to vet them i don't care if you want to have a water birth you want to have a hospital birth you want to have home birth whatever it is vet your vet your facility vet your provider okay yeah that's great advice yeah Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being Thank here today. You. It was an amazing conversation. Thank you. I appreciate um, you guys. And yeah, I, I really love all the work that you do. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I think you, I appreciate you guys for highlighting midwifery. Um because I think for so long it's gone unspoken. Yeah, and it's so much safer. I think yeah. that's what's crazy is nobody talks about it and nobody. there's way less interventions. Yeah. Yes. So Yeah. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Are we good? Okay.